and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are here today with quite the doozy of a topic, and it's proof that big things come in small packages. But before we get there, we do have some liberty to share, and it's directly applicable to Betsy Boss. Yes. I, whew, when we saw this, we were a little bit starstruck in the weirdest way possible because we were thinking it might mean that one of these serial killers that we've covered might be a listener. Yeah. And I sort of hope it's the case. I sort of hope it's not the case because Ugh. it's creepy. But one of our earliest episodes was about the Long Island serial killer, the Gilgo Beach killer. Mm-hmm. You can listen back. It's called Strong Island Serial Killer. And it is down there way in the beginning of our episode list. But guys, we came to find out through some TikToking that apparently this Long Island serial killer has a penchant for looking up podcasts about himself. Yeah, he's like obsessive about it, apparently, like watching documentaries, looking up all these podcasts. Apparently, there's even rumors out there that he might have contacted the one very well-known documentary. I don't think he did based on like the audio and whatnot. But like his search history, we haven't gotten obviously the full extent of it. But it sounds like he was just searching, searching, searching like all over it. Yeah, which is kind of wild. I mean, I don't want him to have been a listener but then i kind of do i mean more evidence like add it to the list too like just you know the more he's listened to the more More you know it stacks up against that he was like why are you listening to this many exactly and it's just yeah why do you have this crazy curiosity about the long island serial killer if you aren't in fact him like that is a weird thing to search over and over and over again repetitively gil go get a life seriously yeah yeah but this case is just like blowing up i i heard that the police are starting to ticket people that are like stopping by his house and whatnot because it's it's kind of like a scene i think there was even a tiktok i saw where people were having kind of like a party essentially not you know in in bad taste necessarily but just like truthfully i think there were people out there kind of like playing music and whatnot because it drew such a crowd and all these people just kind of like close by walking distance showed up and it's just like in a way celebrating that this guy was allegedly finally caught oh well that's a good celebration to have because at first i thought you meant they were just flat out celebrating the long island serial killer and that would not be good for anybody no we don't know kind of um the details behind it but last week um one of the other victims was identified so it makes you wonder did they find something in his house that kind of led to that identification there's also rumors out there that two of the other infamous and it's it's horrible to say it that way but like two of the very well-known victims um, of the long island serial killer have been identified and they're waiting to just release their identities it's if you go again back to our episode it's peaches and then i believe it's peaches baby actually and so I don't know. Obviously, I've been stalking all the all the sites and looking at the details, but hopefully those details will have actually been confirmed and will be released, you know, in the next couple of weeks because it would just be great to even if he's not the one responsible, I think he is for all of these, um, but to give these victims their names back would be great. Yes, yes. And 
one interesting thing we were just remarking about is the fact that it's kind of a miracle that this guy hasn't been caught yet because he is apparently somewhere in the neighborhood between six foot four and six foot seven yeah which is gargantuan and it's to be that huge and that easily identifiable and to not have been identified and caught is really something like it's it's pretty fascinating especially when the guy obviously is not concerned about his internet search history and is just out here googling himself over and over again it it again allegedly but points to probably a lot of incompetence on the the police's (laughs) end um one of the i think it was a roommate of one of the victims Um, This killer had showed up, picked her up, and this guy saw his car and saw the guy and actually described him as an ogre-like man. So I think he very much fits the description. And um, off the top of my head, I'm not remembering the description of the car, but it's very distinct and apparently was not made for many years. He had that. So it's like, come on, along with the DNA, along with the burner phones, like, come on. Yeah, come on. Like, give me a break. It's looking yeah. like a like a pretty... Uh, it's not a long shot for the Long Island Yeah, there killer. we go. Yeah. Exactly. But speaking of long shots and speaking of connections between two very unlikely dissimilar characters, what do a six foot seven person and a person under four feet have in common? I bet you can't guess right away. Well, we'll tell you. <laughs> it's the fact that they're both. Well, Natalia. <laughs> Natalia. <laughs> we'll tell you, Natalia. It's the fact that they are both accused of being either killers themselves or attempted or attempted murderers. Yes, you've got it. It's Natalia. And we are doing the curious case of Natalia Grace today. We are talking the Russian little person who was adopted by the Barnett family and was later accused of faking her age, pretending to be a child, masquerading as one when in fact she was supposedly a woman, a grown adult, who apparently, according to her adoptive parents, attempted their murder. Yeah. And we'll let y'all be the judge of whether you think Natalia's case holds up in court or whether her adoptive parents' case holds up in court. Because I think you'll find it's not super clear cut. Like, you'd think right away, hey, that's pretty spooky. My adopted daughter is trying to kill me. Right. Uh, Like, I feel a lot of sympathy automatically for the adoptive parents in that story. They're trying to do a good thing, adopting this girl from Russia and... You know, just trying to complete their circle of love with their family here. But then once you start to get into the deets. Yeah. And once you once you see the dad on camera. Yeah. That's all you need to see. That's the biggest thing. And we don't get the chance to see Christine Barnett, her adoptive mother on camera. But something tells me that if the father, the adoptive (sighs) father, is any indicator of what the rest of the family is like then we probably don't need to see much more from Christine Barnett. Yeah, I think we got it. Yeah, so we thought it might be fun or interesting to open with some of the accusations made against Natalia because, as we said, there were were a lot of them, and they were all made by her adoptive parents, Christine and Michael Barnett. So it might be interesting to kind of roll down just the list of these different accusations so you can get a feel for the kind of – kind of get a feel for – where these parents were try- were coming from and trying to frame 
the situation because uh, I guess we should have mentioned too we don't hear from Natalia in the documentary either so really her her story is not being told from her perspective but this will give you a good baseline I think of what the parents are saying and the, the picture they're trying to paint exactly so let's get rolling with these accusations yeah they're and they're quite interesting there's so. quite the list so I, I think we should also mention too before going through this so not only is natalia a little person but she's also disabled i just have to laugh at the documentary and we can cut this out but they love this one clip of her walking up the sidewalk and stepping up to the front step of the house and they love it so much that they tried to flip it like flip the the shot to make us think we're seeing something different so keep an eye out for that but there's several shots of her and you can see even just walking getting up very difficult for her yeah mobility with her hands and whatnot it's you know she's disabled so okay so if we roll with these accusations we have the first is that natalia put bleach in her adoptive mother's coffee Mm mm-hmm we have that Natalia put Windex. Got to get her... your story straight here, yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, pick a pick a destructive agent here. Or is it just she's picking she's picking cleaners by the day? Exactly. So we've got bleach in the coffee. She apparently put Windex in the coffee. The adoptive mother said she saw Natalia attack a baby boy on a baby monitor. So, so we're not only dealing with uh, the real life orphan movie; we're also dealing with paranormal activity. Or yes, whatever it was. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we're we're spying on Natalia via the baby monitor. Yeah. so that's good. Yep. She also claimed that Natalia was jumping out of moving cars. That she right. couldn't sit still, wouldn't sit still. That she would just, you know, be hopping out of moving cars at any given moment. She said that Natalia dragged her, the adoptive mother, into an electric fence. I think that's my favorite. That's my favorite, too, because, again, people, she is, Natalia is very disabled. It's challenging for her to get around herself. She, we've seen her nowadays um, in modern times using a walker. She has to use braces, you know, to get around. Um, She needs a lot of accommodations just to get herself from point A to point B. There is no way she had the physical strength to haul a full-size person, no. an average full-size person, into an electric fence. But okay. No. Well, and I'll say, too, like, Michael and Christine are, like, average-size people. Like, nothing, you know, special or, like, noteworthy about them, but, like, just average people. And so even her ability to, like, push her into you know the fence or like move her in any way is just impossible to me right like it would be hard for a full-sized child yeah or an average exactly. child to pull a full-sized adult into an electric fence but it would be really hard impossible one could say for natalia to do so yep the adoptive mother also said that natalia came after her with a butcher knife okay she said that natalia was diagnosed as a psychopath and a sociopath which I really do wonder if you could, uh, I'm sure you probably could be both, but I would assume it's very rare. Right. And it kind of feels like we're just throwing terms out yeah. here at this point. Um, Christine said that Natalia was hearing voices. They, both adoptive parents have claimed that Natalia had schizophrenia. They, Christine said that Natalia was smearing bodily fluids on the walls. And I will say with some of this, I, I think we'll probably get into it, but you know growing up in an orphanage being adopted and we'll learn kind of a a failed adoption adoption before that like 
some of this stuff definitely could be true, but it's a very clear sign of just trauma. It's not the sign of an adult trying to masquerade kill as a you. child. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and murder you. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah, it's sad because a lot of this probably was just a reflection of the fact that she grew up in an orphanage. She had failed adoptions. She was shuttled from place to place. She There was no stability in her early childhood. So, of course, she's going to have some traumatic responses right. and some odd behaviors. Who wouldn't? Of course. So, Michael and Christine also said Natalia stood over them holding sharp objects while they were sleeping. Okay. Hmm. Hard to prove when you were asleep, but okay. Yeah, but all right. You know, that famous eye open sleeping. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael said that Natalia told them, the, uh, the adoptive parents, that she was trying to kill them. Michael and Christine said Natalia would make statements and draw pictures saying she wanted to kill family members, roll them up in a blanket, and put them in the backyard. Mm. Vivid imagery. Yeah, but also just put them in the backyard. Yeah, just place them gingerly. Also, good luck moving them. Well, apparently she can drag you into an electric fence. So So who knows what she's capable of. Yeah. She has superhuman strength, apparently. Apparently. And Michael said that Natalia put clear thumbtacks on their steps. Which, I'm not going to lie... Sounds like a typical, like, April Fool's bad, Prank. like, oh, yeah. how funny. Exactly. They're not going like, to see them. They're clear. Yeah, like, ha-ha. And, like, oh, they'll step on them, maybe. And, right. You know, whatever. But, like, it's not going to kill you. No. I don't know. Even if she did do it, which, again. Right. Exactly. Know, these are a lot of allegations here. Yeah. A lot of them don't really hold water. We'll find out. Um, Michael said that Natalia smeared blood on their mirrors. Okay. Sounds like the movie The Orphan again. Mm Mm-hmm. Michael said that Natalia threw their son's toys. So we'll get into this, but Michael and Christine already had three biological sons when they decided to adopt Natalia. And Michael, a lot of these accusations surrounded the sons and what Natalia presumably did to the sons and her, you know, brothers, essentially, And one of those behaviors was apparently throwing the son's toys and homework into the highway to make them run out, chase the toy or the homework, and get hit by a car. Okay. Sounds logical. Yeah. So she's not only, she has uh, superhuman strength and also a great arm on her. Yes. Yeah. She's got the arm of a pitcher in professional baseball. So they also claimed, and this goes to the idea that Natalia is an adult masquerading as a child, that Natalia had pubes, that she had pubic hair. Mm -hmm. They also claimed that Natalia had a menstrual cycle and was hiding her bloodstained clothing in her closet or the trash. And she was also, I don't mean to make light of it, but like they were like, she was using socks and then throwing them out the window. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like Like as pads, which like. I don't know. Again, we've talked about this at length, but there, even if she was getting a period, which we've found evidence that maybe it wasn't a period right. that caused her to bleed from, you know, that area, it, 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 there are other explanations for it other than her being an adult. Exactly. She could have had a precocious puberty. Mm-hmm. Something else could have been going on. It could have been assault or sexual, you know, violence. It wouldn't necessarily show that she was an adult masquerading as a child right. and not to discount that but like this could have not happened at all too like we we yes. just don't know yeah that's so true and on top of that we there's the fact that michael and christine never bothered to get any kind of testing done on natalia there are tests that can be done to determine whether somebody is 
menstruating actually and you know just a simple hormonal profile would get this done and would determine this and they never bothered to have that done so just yeah that makes you you question things makes you wonder and finally the last accusation of many is that michael and christine claimed that they had a person speak ukrainian to natalia again she's you know from the ukraine she's from the russian area and she did not apparently understand the language. Which is just ridiculous to me because if you look back at it, I, I think she was six when she was adopted by the Barnetts. But I want to say she was like four when she came to the U.S. So you're really right around like the crucial language development stage. And yeah. you really think she's going to remember all that if it wasn't continued when she came over to the U.S. But OK, that's evidence. Well, right. and I hardly think that at the orphanages in the Ukraine, they're doing language drills and making sure that the kids are really up on their, you know, Ukrainian. Right, right. Yeah. Like they probably barely spoke to them at all. So. But, I, but I mean, even just think of kids even with an accent that, you know, a random example, but I think the Beckhams or whatever raised their kids at some for some period in the U.S. and like spoke about how they lost some of their British accent during that period. So makes total sense. Oh, 100%. So I think it's probably a good idea from here now that we've set the stage to jump right into a timeline, which is our favorite thing to do. Yes, it is. Just so that everyone can get a feel for how did all this happen? What's the order of events? What are we looking at here? Yep. So Natalia, the Virgo over here, um, not long after Lala Kent, was born on September 4th, 2003. And again, I feel like a lot of these things are technically up for debate after this documentary, but I think these facts I stand behind. I I agree with. Um, So she was alleged to have been born to Anna Gava in Ukraine, and she was given up for adoption and raised in an orphanage. She came to the U.S. as an adoptee and was under the care of at least one other family before she was adopted by Christine and Michael Barnett. So that's a crucial factor even, you know, just off the bat. And the Barnetts were living in Indiana at the time, so this is a good old Midwestern tale. The details of her previous placement, the one uh, before the Barnetts, are mostly unknown, which it just is shocking to me that kind of this whole history can just be buried. And yeah. she was so young, she's obviously not going to remember many of the details either. But we know that the placement was obviously unsuccessful with this prior American couple, and they were living in New England. So, I mean, even just on that base level, Ukraine, New England, Indiana, like, God, uproot this child's life all over the place. Yeah, she just there's just no stability here. Mm-mm. So apparently the prior adoptive couple attempted to give Natalia away to other little people. They had attended Little People of America conferences and approached different couples there asking if they would be willing to adopt Natalia, which is just like, oh my God, so shady, so like black market and just insane that people would think that this is an okay thing to do. Yeah, and it's just, it's so sad because, you know, it seems like these people just were unhappy with their adoption like it wasn't working out for whatever reason and these two people we believe to be average size people they are right. little people themselves yeah good point so the fact that they would be so cavalier as to think well we'll just give her to another little yeah. couple and more little people will understand a little person 
is very um, reductive and just like narrow minded. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That they would do that and just try to find her like just hand an adoptive her off pair and... of parents. Yeah, it's like ooh, like a dog or yeah, something. Yeah, it really is like rehoming. One of the couples was based in Texas and they actually flew out to meet Natalia and her caretakers in New Hampshire. And then April 2010, Michael and Christine Barnett adopted Natalia, who at the time they believed to be six years old. So obviously these other attempts, and you'll see several of these couples interviewed, and it actually is really heartbreaking in the documentary. Like a lot of them wanted to move forward with the adoption, but clearly something was sketchy. Something was up with these initial adoptive parents. But the Barnett's adopted Natalia, who at that time they believed to be six years old. And as you had already mentioned, Michael and Christine already had three biological sons. And another kind of, I don't know, interesting, weird, like, fact or whatever. Michael and Christine flew to meet Natalia in Florida at the adoption agency. And they immediately took her to Disney World, which I don't know, just feels weird like something about it just feels very idealistic and just weird yeah and it's very like again I mean this is yet another location that Natalia has been shuttled to we don't really know the details of how she got from the first adoptive couple to the adoption agency in Florida but presumably the adoptive couple that failed kind of relinquished her to this adoption agency in Florida and again New England to Florida. Right. And here come the Barnetts, seemingly this, you know, dream adoptive couple. And what do they do? They whisk her right away to Disney World. It just all feels like such a whirlwind. And it's probably so incredibly confusing for Natalia at the time. Like, she probably was thinking, yippee, like, I've really hit it now with these new adoptive parents. But it's also probably just so incredibly mind-boggling to even wrap your head around what the heck is happening yeah and again if any of these claims um that michael and christine made before are even slightly true like this alone would kind of would account for these behavioral issues because it's just i like in two years she's come to a new country and then just been like ping-ponged all over the place so At this time, Michael claimed that he and Christine were at the pinnacle of life. He boasted that, oh, this was my favorite. So (laughs) first of all, picture, it's very nice house, but it's not like a McMansion crazy, you know, it's not uh, that documentary, The Queen of Versailles. Right. It's nothing like that. Like we are a very like upper middle class family, but... Michael claims that they made it because the family had 13 TVs, 14 couches, because I don't know. We need Who one more. Who doesn't count their couches when they're yeah. deciding how wealthy they are? I love them. And then hundreds of thousands in their bank account. So got to get those uh, 13 TVs and 14 couches, though, because. Yeah, get those figures up there. The measure because, of success. Yeah, what's the representation how of wealth? How many butts can you fit in your. In your house yeah, on like, how many couches? My God. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see where Michael's kind of priorities lie. Yeah. What he wants to put out there and how he represents himself. Oh, it's my God. It's really, really interesting. And we'll talk about it later, just how he thinks he's putting forth this very oh. like 
pure image of a good father who is just out here trying to do the right thing and adopt an orphan and make a positive difference in the world and he just tries to play the victim and you know acts very victimized by both natalia and his wife but you know that's all for later but it's just interesting to see his attempts at sort of framing himself as the good dad and it's all just falls so incredibly flat and it's pretty embarrassing honestly it is and the lack of self-awareness i think is like oh Oh. god you really think you're convincing everyone but like you're so obvious by trying to do that yes oh it's so transparent what he's trying to do so it's it's very embarrassing so of course we've got to tell you more about the barnett's because who the heck are these people who came in, ride in on the white horse to rescue this Ukrainian orphan? And then out of nowhere, all these crazy accusations come forward and Michael's just like punching the floor out of nowhere. Tune into the TV show if you want to see that. because So Christine and Michael Barnett actually met at Purdue in per college. Purdue. It was a Purdue for them. Mm-mm. And Christine actually abandoned her Amish background to marry Michael. Not living in an Amish paradise. No, it was an Amish nightmare. And she should have probably gone back and bailed on the rum spring to be with Michael. Seriously, get back to that horse and buggy. But Christine was an author and a professional speaker who saw herself and presented herself as an advocate for children with autism. She is the founder of a nonprofit called Jacob's Place. And Jacob's Place is named after the couple's eldest son. That eldest son is an autistic savant. So really interesting. They already kind of have this public persona out there. And so does their autistic savant son. Because he's been out here on kind of some cool TV shows. Doing incredible math problems in front of an audience. And he just has an incredible intellectual mind but christine is out here you know trying to show herself as this autistic advocate and you know proud mom and writer and all this great stuff so from 2010 to 2012 the barnett's were led to believe that natalia was actually an adult with a severe form of dwarfism known as spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia congenita And Michael and Christine claimed that Natalia was a sociopath and a con artist who threatened and attempted to kill them multiple times. They claimed that Natalia had all these different signs of being older. And again, we talked about some of this. Some of these included an advanced vocabulary in English, pubic hair, and a period. And again, there are other reasons for having a period and for having pubic hair and for having an advanced vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, like the advanced vocabulary, even it could have been like an adaption, a survival skill. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, even if these are true, it's very, very explainable. Oh, 100%. And again, some reasons for her having um, pubic hair and a period she could have gone through precocious puberty. It happens all the time. She also had a litany of medical issues. So it wouldn't be so foreign to think, yeah. you know, she's got this very rare, severe form of dwarfism. Who knows kind of what else is going on medically that could tweak something else and cause, you know, another body part to maybe not behave as it would normally behave for 
a person of that age with such a rare disorder like who who really knows like how much literature is out there to really say what's typical of this right and so the Barnetts are kind of getting more and more suspicious based on these different factors and during this time the Barnetts arrange actually for Natalia to meet another girl with the exact same form of dwarfism who coincidentally also lived in Indiana. What are the odds? That is really that weird, is actually. That is crazy, <laughs> and I don't know how they found her. I mean, the internet is an incredible place, yeah. but, like, what are the odds? This is an incredibly rare affliction, and it's just, it's crazy that they found this other girl. And, you know, they claimed, the Barnetts claimed, that they wanted to hook Natalia up with this little girl to be a buddy and to know what Natalia was going through and to, you know, be a sounding board. But I kind of think that they were just trying to set Natalia up to prove that she was an adult. Yeah, Yeah, so they reported that when they set the two girls up, that Natalia seemed much older than the other little girl who was supposed to be the same age and that even Natalia herself recognized the difference between herself and the other little girl, that she was sort of aware of the fact, mm, I'm I'm looking a lot older than this girl, yeah. and it's, it's obvious, so I'd better make myself seem younger. And so, according to Michael Barnett, Natalia sort of did certain behaviors, and he yeah. claims that she sort of puffed her cheeks up to look make them look chubby and childish in front of the little girl. Um, I just think she probably was just uncomfortable that they set her up with another random person. With- or they just got a bad picture of her. Right. Like, I don't, like- and I, I mean, and truthfully, too, this apparently happens frequently with um, international adoptions. The child will maybe be declared like a couple years younger than they actually are. So she could be a couple years older than she actually is stated on her her documentation i think it's done a lot of the time to one make them more appealing for adoption and two possibly give them a better chance of coming to a new country and adapting yeah having more time to kind of adapt so like yeah she could have been a little bit older but i still don't think that she was a full-blown adult at this time yeah probably the best they could argue is a couple of years here or there like Maybe instead of six years old, she was more like eight years old, but definitely not a full-blown adult, at least in our opinion. Right. So also during this time, uh, the Barnetts admitted to treatment of Natalia, including forcing her to stand at the wall for hours, making her sleep outside on the deck, amongst other things. And um, these complaints, thankfully, prompted neighbors to call social services, but like, I just can't imagine a, a disabled child, like, let's just put her outside and, like, or make her stand against the wall for, like, the whole day. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's sick. And Michael, so as you'll find out, things turned acrimonious between Michael and Christine, the couple who adopted Natalia. And Michael became very quick to hurl insults at Christine to make every issue or every mistreatment of Natalia about Christine and Christine's christine's decision making so he was very quick to start saying you know christine was abusive christine did these different bad treatments of natalia and one of those treatments like you said was the standing by the wall for hours as punishment and in those situations natalia was forced to like go to the bathroom on herself because she was trapped there and it, just all kinds of awful things that are just cruel and unusual treatment of anybody, but especially someone who 
has a difficulty time even standing up exactly like because she's so severely disabled it's just next level torture that christine chose to exert this form of punishment on italia and the crazy thing too is throughout the documentary you'll see clips of obvious like uh, cell phone video footage yeah. that they took of these things and it's just like god I, I just can't imagine doing that and then recording it like right and like how did you think that this was gonna look yeah, yeah. you know in court or even in the court of public opinion yeah so we're moving now to 2012 and Christine and Michael petitioned the Marion County probate court to have Natalia's birth year changed from 2003 to 1989 taylor swift style making her an adult i don't know about you i'm feeling 22 kill me now um in the eyes of the law and this went through which is just crazy to me yeah isn't that nuts i mean and that is a huge jump from 2003 as your birth year oh my god 1989 is your birth year and Again, I mean, Christine and Michael were suspicious that Natalia was secretly an adult, but they had a lot riding on this, which we'll find out. And there are a lot of things that they could do to Natalia and ways that they could treat Natalia as an adult that they could not treat her as a child. Exactly. So with this age adjustment, the Barnetts were able to move Natalia into her first apartment on her own in Westfield. Um, where she lived, shockingly, like a child, mainly on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, pizza, and ramen noodles. In a way, they're very lucky that nothing awful happened that, you know, like the stove or like anything like that. There's so many situations that could have happened. But yeah, it's just a terrible thing. So the neighbors started to have concerns about her behavior. And you feel bad for her. But like she was constantly at their house, at their at their door, in, like coming into their house, you know, going to the refrigerator and just kind of harassing them, honestly, in a way. And it makes sense from a child who's left alone and it's any form of human contact and help like she's going to go and gravitate towards that. Um, but she also even called 911 on, on herself one time claiming that she had been stalking a neighbor and was afraid of what she might do. So it, it's it's hard because she obviously has some self-awareness, but she also, in my opinion, is a child and just like... Desperate for Yeah, reaching contact. out. Yeah, yeah. It's very sad. And I also that. wonder how much of the 911 call was Christine and Michael planting the idea in That's Natalia's head that she was dangerous, that she was a danger to herself and others, that she was annoying and impertinent and, you know, had dangerous impulses that could put others in, you know, in jeopardy. That's a really good point. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, with this language going around that of, again, all those accusations that we listed at the beginning, that's the kind of environment that, that Natalia grew up in and the kind of language that she was surrounded by. So I wouldn't be surprised if she called 911 because she had a weird thought, who doesn't, right? and thought that it was a dangerous impulse that she should be afraid of. Oh, or even I could see, you better not call 911, you know? like That's a good point. Very easy to kind of yeah. lure her into that. That's so true. 
So in the midst of all of this, Christine is just being the doting mother of her autistic savant son. She publishes a book called The Spark, A Mother's Story of Nurturing Genius. So clearly she's just uh, taken that for all it's worth. And in July of that year, the Barnetts move away to Canada, where their oldest son, the autistic savant, is attending college. And they leave Natalia behind in a new rented apartment in Lafayette, Indiana. And this is... Yeah, this is where it really starts to... I mean, if leaving a child in an apartment wasn't bad enough, this is where it really turns. Yeah, this is incredibly sad. And... They also happen to pick, first of all, a very troubled area. Lafayette is what's known as a bad area. High crime. High crime. A lot of homeless people. And on top of that, the home itself where Natalia was living is incredibly challenging for a disabled person to get into and out of. It's on the second story. It's you have to go up a bunch of icy, rickety stairs to get there outside and then again inside. There's just it's she's set up for a disaster or honestly a massive injury. And I don't know how she even survived living this apartment. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah. So not long after leaving Natalia behind, the Barnetts get investigated by social services And social services believed that Natalia, in spite of her new birth record, was actually a minor and that the Barnetts were guilty of leaving behind a minor and abandoning her. So a month after she's lived in Lafayette in this shantytown apartment, Natalia comes across a woman named Cynthia Mance. And Cynthia, along with her husband Antoine, decide to take Natalia in and Mans taught Natalia to read and write and charged her 250 bucks in monthly rent. And, you know, they're basically just starting to take her in. They, they claim it's out of the goodness of their heart, but it's a little bit hinky. The one issue that we both noticed is that Natalia does get 700 bucks ish a month in disability. And that 700 bucks goes right to the mans if they're her guardians but i but i have to say like none of it's good but the best of a worst of of like the worst scenario um like i think it does work out like she did she was lucky to come across these people in the situation that she was in yeah so and in the midst of this guess who's breaking up Michael oh, and Christine. Shocker. Yeah, so 2014, they Michael files for divorce. And then we skip ahead to 2016 where, like we said, Cynthia and Antoine attempt to become actually the legal guardians of Natalia. But the court records show that they later withdrew their petition after the court upheld the ruling that Natalia was born in 1989, not 2003. So essentially she was an adult. And again, this goes to her receiving it was $733 a month in disability, which, like we said, now that if she was able to be under the man's guardianship, will go straight to them. So quite a long divorce here, which is crazy. Mike, 2018, Michael and Christine's divorce is finalized. I feel like the divorce almost kind of spurred things along because I feel like Natalia could have stayed living with the, the man's and it you know 
would have been fine like if they just kind of left things alone but something else I feel like is going on behind the scenes between Michael and Christine that we just don't know from this documentary but we move ahead to October 2019 and a woman claiming to be Natalia's biological mother comes forward so this is really crucial for kind of determining her age this woman is Anna Gava And she gave a really emotional interview saying that she was forced to give Natalia up when she was an infant uh, because she was able unable to care for her, which is obviously very understandable living in Ukraine and the extensive surgeries, medical interventions that she would need. But Anna Gava stated that Natalia's birth date was, in fact, 2003, again, making her a child who the Barnett's had completely neglected. The orphanage where she was living has records that she uh, that stated that she was admitted in October of 2003, which again would line up with her birth date and being turned over to the orphanage not long after her birth. So Christine and Michael then come to face criminal charges of neglect of a dependent. And again, this is interesting because it's not abandonment or child neglect, but because of Natalia's legal age, The issue at hand, obviously, was the difference in Natalia's legal age, whether she was her alleged biological age or, you know, her her new legal age. So this is a huge difference. Like we said, was she 24 or 10 at the time of her abandonment? So some of these charges were based on her being a minor, while others were based on her being an adult dependent with a disability. Either way, not a great thing, you know. Not a good look. Yeah, not a good thing to leave somebody in. So in November of 2019, Natalia goes on Dr. Phil with this couple, Cynthia and Antoine, who took her in after she was abandoned by the Barnetts. And she just sort of comes forward and starts to share a little bit of her side of the story. And the Manses also come forward and say, Listen, Natalia's never shown a violent urge whatsoever. She's nothing but kind and sweet and gentle to her brothers, her new brothers that she now lives with. And she's been an absolute pleasure. And there's nothing even disagreeable about her. So in February of 2022, skipping ahead, four of the charges against Michael Barnett end up getting dropped. And a few months before Michael's case is set to go to trial, the court decides that any charges based on Natalia's age just can't be considered at all. Which is crazy. It's really interesting. So essentially, the court pretty much says, we're just going to ignore the age completely, and we're only going to take into consideration Natalia's disability. Yeah, and it it was interesting to see just like them having to figure out the language they could and couldn't use i think yeah. like child or mi- obviously like child minor whatever like it, it was just interesting to see how they were trying to make their argument and then like could not even utter these words you know what i mean like during that yeah that's so true um so there end up being four charges of the neglect of a dependent that were dismissed because of the statute of limitations running out 
and ultimately the prosecutors decided to continue pursuing the remaining neglect charges based on disability alone. So like we said, not based on age at all, not based on how old we think she might have been, but just based on the fact that this is a severely disabled person and she was entirely dependent on these parents because of that. So in October of 2022, Michael Barnett's trial starts and a verdict ends up getting reached. Michael's attorney's goal going into trial is to paint Natalia as an adult. And again, they can't use language saying she's an adult, but it obviously is a lot less sympathetic to be Natalia if you're an adult who gets abandoned that was like 24 years old versus a 10-year-old getting abandoned or a 12-year-old getting abandoned. So legally at the time, Natalia was about 24 when the Barnetts left her in Lafayette biologically at this point we don't know but that would have placed her more like 12 10 to 12 years old right and natalia shared testimony at that point saying listen i never wanted to live by myself because i think they tried to paint the picture that you know it could have been a good thing for natalia to live by herself she was you know perfectly fine michael made the claim that oh look there's a shopping market right this way there's a special community center that way like it was a great place to live but natalia came right out and said i never wanted to live in lafayette by myself i wanted to stay living with the barnett's yeah and also like she's a child she doesn't know like what she wants she doesn't know she has options either she's just doing what they tell her right so Michael's attorneys also made this argument that Natalia wanted to move on from the Barnett family and be independent. So they would show Natalia shopping for herself in a grocery store, walking across the street, you know, moving a trash can, just doing all these kind of basic activities of daily living and trying to show, look, she's an able-bodied adult. She's capable of caring for herself. But the irony is that in showing these different video clips... Natalia has a tremendous amount of difficulty getting around just by herself. Yeah. But the clip they show of her moving a garbage can, like taking the trash out to the street, it takes her like an hour to get the garbage can. It's a clear video of like someone clearly struggling. Struggling a lot. And obviously none of the neighbors wanted to hang out with her and were afraid to help her. Closing the blinds. Yeah, yeah, she would harangue them. So it's, I don't know. It's amazing to me that Michael kind of got certain claims dismissed yeah and they're like watching these in you know preparation for the trial and they're like look at that oh my god and it's like yeah look at that (laughs) like yeah i don't know what you're seeing but that is not something that's gonna like bode well for you so natalia testified that she did not have the skills to live independently which i think is clear uh, yeah very much so um she didn't know how to cook how to shop for food how to use a washing machine and she could not reach the high spots in her apartment due to her short stature and we could even see that in some of the the video like she barely has you know a chair or or something that she can kind of hop up onto but like she's not able to reach a lot of things in her apartment because they're you know sized for an average height person her disability like not even related to her height but we also mentioned she had some mobility issues with her hands uh it was difficult to open canned food and like we said she had to climb multiple stairs to her apartment which i mean it's difficult to get into it's also a safety hazard if there were a fire or something like that it's a real danger um the indiana 
police detective Brandon Davenport testified that Michael told him, like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a ton of missteps, oh, but this Michael is one of the big ones. Dumb. Like, Michael fell... Um, right. right into the trap. He fell into the trap of the, hey, I'm your buddy cop. Like, I, I think Christine's you. the bad person. Like, just tell me, like, what happened. But I think you're the good guy. <laughs> um, so he testified that Michael told him that N- Natalia was dropped in Lafayette because Christine deemed it as a white trash town where no one is going to care or worry about Natalia. And this does not go over well. Um, you know, like even Michael's attorneys know that this is really stupid. The line that's really going to like, what were you thinking? Michael, what are you doing? What are you like, doing? Like, yeah. Um, nevertheless, Michael was found not guilty. <laughs> shockingly. Yeah, it truly. The shock of a <laughs> yeah, lifetime. Like shock of a lifetime. But okay. Uh Three counts of neglect and conspiracy to commit neglect of a dependent were dismissed. Um, We then moved to pretty much current day almost. March 2023, Christine was actually scheduled to go to trial. Um, Michael was subpoenaed to testify against her. However, the court ruled to dismiss any charges based on Natalia's age. So the remaining counts of neglect of a dependent were also dismissed due to the insufficient evidence. Which is just weird. I mean, it is. to us, it seems like there's just constant evidence that they left behind. Even, again, if she wasn't a child, which it's looking like she really definitely was. Yeah. Um, but even if she wasn't, even if she was just a severely handicapped adult. Yeah. To leave behind that person who is so clearly dependent on her new adoptive parents is a lot and is something I think worthy of being punished. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So coming later this year, we apparently are going to get a follow-up documentary on investigation discovery called the curious case of Natalia Grace, Natalia speaks, but it'll be very interesting. I think I've also seen her speaking out a bit on TikTok, so I don't think she's afraid to kind of get out there and tell her story, but it'll it'll be very interesting to see her speak and then have the contrast of crazy old Michael over here in his theatrics. So I, I think I can speak for both of us. It'll be something we're definitely going to be looking forward to watching and I, I think good for Natalia that she's getting the opportunity to speak out and tell her story for herself. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is Betsy Boss Podcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) 